Ben Affleck, the actor who played Batman in the 2017 film, The Justice League, talking about the appeal of superhero films, said this, Part of the appeal of this genre is wish fulfillment. Wouldn't it be nice if there was somebody who can save us from all of this? Save us from ourselves. Save us from the consequences of our actions. And save us from people who are evil. Christmas is the time of year wherein we celebrate the wonderful truth that what we thought of as only a wish, our salvation, has manifested itself. The person of Jesus Christ. Indeed, Christ has come to save us from ourselves. Save us from our sins. And to save us from evil. It's this truth that we celebrate this morning. That God became a man so that he might save men. It sounds impossible. And yet nothing is impossible with God. That's the main idea this morning. Nothing is impossible with God. And I want to exhort you, encourage you this morning to respond to God's miraculous gospel with faith. Have your outline there before you, a miraculous encounter, a miraculous promise, a miraculous God, and a miraculous response. We'll work through those items in turn, but first let us pray and ask for God's help. Father, what we know not teach us, what we are not make us, what we have not give us. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Luke opens his gospel by telling us his reason for writing in the first place. He has carefully investigated the matters surrounding the life and person of Jesus Christ. And he is writing to Theophilus and all those who would pick up this gospel and read. A gospel is kind of a biography of Jesus. Everyone who would pick up this biography of Jesus and read it, he wants them to have certainty about the things that have taken place. Certainty about the incarnation of God, that is God becoming a man. Certainty about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, him dying on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. Certainty about the resurrection, that that man, Jesus Christ, was raised up from the dead to rule and to reign over all things. He wants us to know with certainty that Jesus will return to bring justice to the nations and joy to the world. And so he opens his gospel by spotlighting, not Jesus, but his forerunner, John the Baptist. 
And we talked about this last week. Uh, Zechariah was a priest in the temple, and it just so happened that his lot was drawn, and he was ministering before God. He, he was in the holy place, offering incense and the prayers of the congregation up before the Lord, and the angel Gabriel appeared to him and said, do I have a promise for you? The Messiah is coming. And not only that, you're in your old advanced age, your wife has passed the years of childbearing, you're going to have a child. The child you always prayed for. That old prayer that was long forgotten. I'm granting it to you. And your child is going to be great. He's going to go before the chosen one. Before the servant of the Lord. And he is going to turn many to him. He's going to make my people ready to repent of their sin and to trust in Christ. Zechariah doesn't quite believe this wonderful word from the angel at first, and so he asks for a sign. And Gabriel gives him a very colorful response, but at the end of the day, it's, do you know who I am? Do you want a sign? Here's your sign. You will not be able to talk or to hear until these things have been fulfilled. And we closed off the story last week by getting to that point when John the Baptist is born and Zechariah's ears and mouth are opened once more. But that story of John the Baptist's conception is interrupted by another marvelous announcement. And it comes to the virgin girl named Mary. Look with me at verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So Elizabeth is six months pregnant, and here we have an angel appearing, not in a place of significance like the temple, but in a backwater town in Galilee called Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And not to a priest in the temple, but to an insignificant virgin girl. Did you notice the text waits to tell us Mary's name because it wants us not to focus on her, but on her virginity and the impossibility of her pregnancy. To a virgin engaged to a man of Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And listen to what the angel says to this insignificant virgin girl that he plans on blessing and using for his glory. The angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Wow. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, when angels show up in the Bible, the normal reaction is to be terrified or to worship. And so when Gabriel showed up to Zechariah, he was terrified. He fell face down just a few verses before. When he shows up to Mary, she, she too is, is terrified, which again is a normal response. Sometimes we have this wrong idea of angels, like they're this like squishy baby things with wings, like precious moments kind of idea. 
But in the Bible, angels are warriors. They're part of God's heavenly host, which means army. And they perform tasks for God. And so like a more appropriate ornament or precious moments thing might be, you know, an angel holding a, a sword that had been dipped in blood. These are frightening beings. And yet notice, it's not Gabriel's showing himself that causes Mary trouble. It's his saying. Did you see that in in verse 29? She was deeply troubled by this statement, by this saying, by this greeting. what's, What's so troubling about this greeting? Well, in it, he tells Mary two things. That she is favored by God and that God is with her. I think growing up in the West, we, we just take for granted this idea that, that God loves everybody and God's with us. For an ancient Jew, she had a much more robust understanding of God's holiness and her own sinfulness and her own enmity with God. And so when she's told, God has favored you, he's with you, she's worried about it. I know what happens to sinners when they're in God's presence. Favored? Me? Why? Why would God favor an insignificant virgin girl from a backwater town in Nazareth? Why? Is it it because she's perfect? Sinless? No. Is it because she's lived a really good life and and tried really hard to keep the law? No. why, Why does God favor Mary? God favors Mary for the same reason he favors you, Christian. Because he chooses to. And Mary can't get her mind around it. God favored me. And we get a a really wrong idea about Christianity and about who it is that does the saving when we try to take credit for our salvation. If you answer the question, well, what is Christianity about? And you say, well, Christianity, it's it's mainly about going to church, uh, believing a certain creed, living a certain way, well, then I'm not going to be wonder, wondered or, or surprised at your salvation. It's something you can do. Somebody asks you that question, hey, are you a Christian? Well, of course I am. I, I work really hard at it. But friends, Christianity is not something done by you. It's something that's done for you and to you and in you. You can't take credit for it. It'd be like, Waking up in the back of an ambulance with apparatus all over your face. Jeremiah's not here, so I'll say he's the EMT that's with you. Jeremiah is is, is hanging out over top of you and he says, Hey, brother, you had a terrible accident, but I made it here on time. I saved you. And it would be like you, like kind of through the apparatus speaking, Well, really, 
I, I deserve some of the credit. I keep myself in peak physical condition, you know, and so when you tried to restart my heart, really, I get some of that credit. I, I, helped, I helped in this saving of me. No. When it comes to God, we do all the sinning and he does all the saving. It is all of grace. It is his favor. Friend, if you think you are a Christian because you come to church or you do good things, I don't think you've understood the gospel. It takes the work of God. God loves you, Christian, not because you're really good, not because you keep all the rules, but because he chooses to. And that means that on your worst day, he loves you just as much as he does on your best day. That means that you can't outsin the grace and mercy of God. He favors you. And you should never get over this. You should never stop being surprised at your own salvation. When you think of the fact that you are a Christian, you should think like Mary does. You should ponder it. Me? A Christian? Favored by God? God is with me? Oh, Christian, never stop being amazed by grace. I don't know if Mary knew Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, but it goes like this. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Mary, troubled by this greeting, contemplating grace and favor, I don't know if she wonders or not, but what has God prepared for me to do? What does he want from me? And comes a miraculous promise from the mouth of Gabriel. Look at verse 31. Now listen. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. This is an incredible promise. It's, very, it's, a, it's a pregnant promise about her pre pregnancy. She's going to conceive and give birth to Jesus. Jesus' name, meaning the Lord, is salvation. It's equivalent to the Hebrew Yeshua. Jesus is going to be called Son of the Most High, as Son of God. He's going to have the authority of the Most High. Jesus will sit the throne of David and reign forever and ever over the house of Jacob. Jacob's just a way of referring to Israel. His kingdom will have no end. This is a significant promise. And I want you to notice, I'm cheating here, we're jumping ahead a little bit. Mary's posture towards this announcement, yes, she's going to ask just one question, but her posture towards this huge announcement is belief. In this section, she is kind of a model of faith, and she's going to contrast with Zechariah. But, but look down, verse 38. 
She responds to all of this, I am the Lord's servant, may it be done to me according to your word. Her posture is not unbelief, but belief. She's in the dark about how all of these promises are going to be fulfilled. Son of the Most High, okay. His name's going to be Jesus, okay. His kingdom is going to last forever. I'm going to give birth, maybe she's thinking, I don't know, to the King of Kings. And her one question is going to be, well, how, how are we going to do this, Lord? And we'll get to that in a second. But what I want to focus on now is her posture. She does not have all the details about how these things are going to happen. She, she doesn't know that Jesus is going to live 30 years She doesn't know that he's going to minister for three. She doesn't know that he's going to suffer on his way to Calvary's cross. She doesn't know that he's going to die there. She doesn't know that he's going to raise from the dead. She just knows he's going to be king. She doesn't demand all the details before she trusts God. And that's a word for us. We do not need to have all the details before we trust the Lord. We don't have to have every question that we might have about God answered before we put our trust in him. We don't do this in any other area of life, you realize. But when it comes to God, we want to know all the details. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, when you go to the pharmacy to pick up your prescription, I'm betting that you don't interrogate the pharmacist. Right? You, don't, you don't look at their diploma on the wall and go, is that authentic? Uh, you know, you, you, went to, you went to the University of Virginia? Uh, I don't know. You don't go back there and examine all the, the different uh, pills and chem- I don't really know how it works, but all the different materials that they put together. Like, you probably aren't even taking time to read the little informational booklet that comes with your prescription. You know what you're doing? You're looking where it says, take one with food, got it. Or, you know when that user agreement comes up on your phone or your computer? I'm betting that you're not reading through that. Or when you go to somebody's house to eat, you usually eat the food, and maybe if you really enjoy it, you're going to ask for the the recipe after the fact. But you don't walk in and start combing through the kitchen and making sure all the ingredients are just right. No. You put your faith in the pharmacist because you have good reason to believe that they are providing the right medicine. You put your faith in those user agreements, uh, maybe not a great idea, uh, but, but because you think that they're not detrimental to you, or at least they're not worth the hassle. You put your faith in a meal prepared by friends because you have good reason to believe that they are not trying to poison you. Friends, likewise, we have good reason to put our faith in Jesus. Faith is not the absence of reason or ignoring truth. Faith is not in opposition to knowledge. Faith is trusting in what you know to be true because you have good reason to believe it's true. I'll say that again. Faith is trusting in what you know to be true because you have good reason to believe that it's true. Non-Christian, we Christians are not calling you to embrace ignorance or abandon reason, or to just believe. I'm not calling you to to just put your faith in something that is ethereal, because it'll make you feel better. I'm not saying, oh, just just believe in in old Saint Nick, 
around this time of year because it'll just make everything more sentimental and fun. It'll give you those warm fuzzies and your life will be better because of it. This is not the kind of faith that we're calling you to. We're challenging you to believe something that happened in time and space and history. God becoming a man so that he might die for your sin. We have really good reason to believe that it's true. Mind-bending, mysterious, impossible, but true. Jesus really did become a man. He really was born of a virgin. He really was crucified on a cross. He really did raise after three days. He really does rule and reign from heaven. He really is coming again. It's true. Now, Christian, put your faith in Jesus. Turn from your sin. Christian, your posture ought to be one of obedience. Even if you don't have all the ins and outs worked out about how God is at work in your life, your posture should be ready to believe God. You should sing that old hymn. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Y'all are looking at me like my Garth was a little better last week. Trust the Lord. This is Mary's posture. But I said she does have a question. Look at verse 34. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man, since I have not known a man? And Gabriel says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their proper time. No, that's, that's what he said to Zechariah. Zechariah in verse 18 of chapter 1 says, how can I know this? And then comes that rejoinder from Gabriel. But Mary asks the question and she's going to get an answer. Why is that? Is this like the difference between like when I get pulled over and my wife gets pulled over? Just a little cuter than Zechariah? Remember friends, God sees the heart. And I think the difference in the question is this. Zechariah's question is more, Can you do this? Can you do this? And Mary's is, how are you going to do this? One comes from a heart of faith. And the other, from unbelief. Mary's comes from a heart of belief. And so Gabriel answers her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This overshadowing of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing sexual about it. Uh, The same language is used to refer to the glory cloud that rests on the temple in the Old Testament, as well as God's protecting presence. In Luke 9, It refers to the cloud of transfiguration which overshadows the disciples. And even, you can connect it with Genesis uh, chapter 1 verse 2 when the Holy Spirit is 
hovering over the waters, overshadowing the waters. And I think that's helpful because God is going to do something in Mary, in her womb, that he did in the beginning. He's going to create life where there is none. He's going to create a man like he hasn't created a man since Adam without sin. He is putting within Mary the new Adam who will not fail in the garden. Who will be the the true son of God. Did you notice this, this at the end of verse 35? It says son of God. He's going to be called son of God. If you have your Bible open, you can just flip one page over to chapter 3. That's two pages in mine. Uh, you flip over there to chapter 3, verse 38. And there's this really wonderful genealogy. I know we all love genealogies, favorite parts of the Bible. But, but we get this genealogy of Jesus. And, and Luke, at the end of verse 38, says, Son of Enosh, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. Luke wants us to understand Jesus is the new Adam. I mean, he's immediately going to drop him into temptation in the wilderness, just as Adam was tempted in the garden. But Jesus will succeed where Adam failed. Where Adam brought death, Jesus will bring life. 1 Corinthians 15, But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. The question comes, how? If God is just, must punish sin. So how is it that he gives us life through Christ? Perhaps the most important pericope in Scripture is, Romans chapter 3, 22 through 26. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Because there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as an atoning sacrifice, propitiation, in his blood, received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus saves us by dying for us. The incarnation is about the crucifixion. God becomes what he was not while never ceasing to be what he was. God the Son takes on flesh so that he can become killable. So that he can die. Not only that, but so that he can obey. So that he can live the life that you and I should live and die the death that you and I deserve to die. He becomes a man so that he can absorb the right wrath of God towards sin and towards you and me in our place. He becomes a man so that when we repent of sin and put our faith in him, we can have the blessing that his obedience earned while he takes the curse 
that our disobedience earned. This is the point of the incarnation. I mean, try to get your mind around this. The creator of all that is wrote himself into his creation as a creature. The God who crafted Mary's womb swam inside it amidst amniotic fluid. God took onto himself armpits and nostrils. He got hungry and tired. He was like us. And I shouldn't, I shouldn't speak in the past tense because he is still like us. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He remains a man. Glorified resurrection body, yes, but a man like you and I. Isn't that incredible? This is how much God loves you. God favors me? Me, a Christian? Yes. Yes. He loves you this much. Mary's also given a little bit of encouragement. She asks, how's this stuff going to happen? And and Gabriel's going to give her a sign. Verse 36, consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary hurries to Elizabeth's house after she believes. She, notice verse 38, I'm the Lord's servant, may it be done to me. She believes and then she goes to see Elizabeth. She doesn't go to see Elizabeth and then come back. Look at verse 39. <clears throat> in those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I just have to put this in there. We often think of the first confession of Jesus as Lord of Jesus as the Christ comes from the mouth of Simon Peter. But here it is in the mouth of Elizabeth before Jesus is even born. My Lord, the mother of my Lord should come to me. For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. Mary already believed, but this had to have put a vein of steel in her spine. God told me he would do the impossible. And here I am, and Elizabeth, who is past childbearing years, is pregnant. I've believed him, and the Son of God is going to inhabit my womb. I don't understand it all. I don't know all the details, but I believe him. I don't know all the reasons God has for this, but I can trust his character. And that's important when we consider Mary's response. I just want to read it one more time in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. You know, this isn't exactly the response we expect, is it? I mean, put put yourself in Mary's shoes. 
Like if it's me, I, I might go, so let me, <laughs> just let me make sure I'm understanding correctly here. Me, I'm a, I'm a virgin, not really any significance. I'm going to get pregnant without any sexual intercourse with the Son of God. And, and my cousin Elizabeth, who's like 80, I'm guessing, I don't know how old she was. You know, she did the menopause thing. She's, she's six months pregnant. I mean, come on, get out of here. Where's the camera? That's not, it's kind of a skeptical response that seems a little bit more plausible to me anyway. As I, I thought about my own heart and in this particular text, I was struck by the fact that I think I'm more prone to unbelief in a lot of ways than belief. Reminds us of Zechariah last week, ministering in the temple in the holiest of places and yet not believing God. Remember, unbelief is that sneaky that you can be in the most holy of places, doing the most holy activities and still disbelieve what God has said. I wonder if many of us have made unbelief a honored guest in our hearts. Our posture should not be unbelief, but faith. <laughs> faith, like Mary has here. It, it, is, it is incredible. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. I can't. I mean, I imagine she might want to say, actually, Lord, this is my life. You see, Christmas wrecks Mary's life. It ruins everything for her. She had plans. She was engaged. She was working on seating charts for her wedding. She had dreams that she wanted to fulfill. And God shows up and says, all of those plans are out the window. It's my plan now. I mean, she very well could have stomped her foot and said, no, my life. She could have said, not right now, God. I'm going to finish college first. I have a career that I want to invest in a little bit. Not, not right now, God. These are my golden years. I'm getting ready to retire not right now, God. Things are going really well for me. I like my plans. She doesn't. She responds in faith. Even though Christmas wrecks her life. And friends, until Christmas ruins your life, it will mean nothing to you. Because the very same God that showed up through the voice of Gabriel and said, Mary, I'm going to create life where there is none. And you need to follow me. Shows up to you this morning in the proclamation of the gospel and he says, I'm going to create life where there is none. You must follow me. If you are a Christian, it's because God has made life where there is none. He's caused you to be born again. And Christ lives in you.
grace has a funny way of upending our calendars and our plans. God's grace rarely operates according to our schedules and our needs. And so the question for you is this this morning. Will you receive God's grace? Will you hear the message of Christmas? Turn from your sins and believe in Christ crucified for the forgiveness of your sins, risen from the dead to free you from death, ruling and reigning, one day returning, or will you reject him? Christmas changed everything for Mary. And it must change everything for you. Or you will find yourself in eternal exile in hell. Beneath the weight of God's wrath. Someone has to pay for your sin. And it is either Christ or you. I implore you to put your faith in Christ. Because after all, he came at Christmas to save. And the Christmas story is our Lord's origin story. Jesus came to save us from all of this. To save us from ourselves and from our sins. To save us from evil. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your kindness to us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word and through the gathering of your people. We pray that you would give us faith. For those who might not know you, we pray that you would cause them to be born again. For those of us who do know you, pray that you would cause us to be amazed by your grace again. We ask that you would inject some crackling life into our blood. That you would cause us to trust you and to believe you, even when we can't understand your reasons for functioning and ordering things in the way that you do. Help us to trust your plans rather than our hearts. Help us to follow your spirit rather than our flesh. Help us to trust you and to love you as you have loved us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.